Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 33 of the podcast, the topic is One Woman's Empowerment and Her Quest to Help One Million. Our guest is Savi Barros, host of the Dream Big and Live Free podcast, who says she has experienced every major tragedy that someone can experience. And she's on a quest to inspire a million women to confront adversity. In this conversation, which I initially had planned as a prep call, we go deep. We talk about Savi's path to empowerment, her quest to empower one million women, her project on the future of work for American nurses, which brought her to the White House, what she took away from her MBA at MIT Sloan, the meaning of life, whether we need a North Star, and how to turn adversity into professional and professional uh, and personal growth. A word from our sponsor. Do you have business challenges where you would like high-quality external input from experts? Yegi is an insight network with access to on-demand teams made up of select talent from thousands of experts across industries and markets, including financial services, education, software, energy, healthcare, and life science. Check out Yegi, Y-E-G-I-I, at archives.yegi.com. Hello. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Good to uh, good to connect with you. Same here, same here. So where are you located? I am in uh, Wellesley, Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah, just outside Boston. Got it. I know where it is. I've never, I've never actually been to Wellesley, but I do know where it is. Yes, there was a, you know, there's a, they are some of sister brother schools with MIT, right? So there, you must have met some, uh, some Wellesley student, random Wellesley student, perhaps uh, uh, at MIT. There was a random Wellesley student in my entrepreneurship class with Bill Allett that was on my team. And she was awesome. Always late. But awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. They take the bus in and uh, that's, that's what happens. So, so awesome. tell me, uh, we connected because I was just so excited to, to see, you know, your podcast and, you know. Uh, A lot of my classmates didn't even believe I went to Sloan because once I got there and I, you know, sort of dreaded my way through the mandatory one week, uh, sorry, one semester, you know, whatever, where they put you through the finance and all that stuff. I couldn't wait to like just have the reins taken off and go explore. And so that's where I really discovered like AI blockchain and all that awesome stuff. And I was like, wow, this is totally the future. So every chance I got, I was actually spending time at CSAIL or in mechanical engineering or something like that. I found myself like just completely fascinated by yeah. AI blockchain because I saw the future. And it was painful for me to learn that stuff because the business school, they don't actually capture how do you actually apply this stuff in the real world. Yeah. Um, they just, they don't. And so, and th- but I was trying to take almost like engineering level classes. And so I had no idea what was going on, but I had to somehow filter and ask a lot of questions and figure out, well, what does this actually mean? 
to go into the real world. And so I spent my entire time there focused on it. And so after I left, I was like, okay, I'm going to focus on business applications of blockchain and AI. So I did what you were supposed to do, supposed to do, right? So you graduate from Sloan, you want to work in tech, you move to the Valley. I moved to the Valley and I started talking to some companies And while I was at Sloan, one of the questions or one of the decisions that I made about my life was that I was going to do work that involved tech that helped you empower other people. This now became something mandatory for me as as opposed to before I was just like working to work and I had other goals Uh, because I firmly believe that you can do financially well and also do good in the world. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. So after talking to multiple companies in the Valley and just, you know, finding companies that, you know, they're doing great business, like some of them are like, oh, yeah, we're using AI to, to change like how we how we process like support tickets. Isn't that awesome? And I was like, wow. yeah yeah not maybe not transformative i mean it's important but it just like my soul was not set on fire so i actually decided that this just it, it wasn't for me like nothing was clicking and i felt pretty defeated because it was my dream to go do this thing and i was like this is not right so i actually decided that i'm just gonna start my own thing like i'm gonna start my own thing and i'm gonna go do what I want to do. I am going to work on stuff related to applying, doing business applications of AI and blockchain. And so then in a really way, weird way that the universe works, which I believe in, um, the CEO of a company contacted me and said, Hey, I have an initiative that I think you would be interested in working on. What, you know, I said, cool. So it turns out that the initiative was actually partnering with a very well-known tech firm. I could say Salesforce because it's now public. Um, And so as in this collaboration with Salesforce, what I didn't know is that my work would actually be featured at the White House. So now there is a board called the American Policy Workforce Advisory Board, very long name, but it's dedicated to upskilling the average American worker. So in collaboration with Salesforce and this other company, I am basically working on a solution that takes cutting edge technology to help empower nurses through education and technology, which is amazing. And nurses are such an underserved population um, in terms of making their lives better to do their work. And, And it just became very apparent to me working on this project and through COVID. Anyway, so this is a continuation. Um, as I'm working through this project, I'm starting to, and and COVID hits, right? So you can imagine like working on a project about nurses and then COVID hits. It's like, oh my God, what, what do you do? Um, nevertheless, I'm a very creative person, um, always have been. And so managed to keep the project going. But a lot of my friends and colleagues kept coming to me to ask, what should I do? COVID's kind of like ruining my life. Right. Sure. So everything that they had known was basically taken and thrown against the wall and is just like shattered into 10 pieces because they're used to doing this routine thing that they've done for a long time. Or they're so programmed in how they should do something that now this abrupt shock is really just a shock to, to everything. 
But for me, because my life can basically be defined by abrupt shock. So like as a 15 year old girl, I had to fend for myself because I came from an abusive family with no support. Um, my parents never even saved for me to go to college. And there's a, you know, obviously like there are probably reasons behind that, but the fact that was the fact. So I basically from a very young age had to make very big decisions about my own life and basically lived in a constant state of flux and, and really just shocking life changes. So wow. I have learned, uh, I've learned to just operate like this is my normal. So when COVID hits, it becomes apparent to me that, oh my God, yes, there are definitely some you know, negative things, a lot of negative things, but there are also some really positive things to come out of it. So that's actually why I started my podcast, Dream Big and Live Free, which is about taking stories of people who are entrepreneurs, executives. I have, you know, a former NFL player that's been on my podcast, disruptors, and they're talking about all of these really insane life things that they had to overcome in order to get to where they are today. So for example, NFL player, um, Sharon Harbour used to play for the Colts. He shares that like when he was a young man, he was diagnosed with five learning disabilities and they told him, you know, man, you're, you're done. You're toast. You can't go to college, go sign up for the army. That's like the best you can do for your life. Mm. But he made a decision at some point that that was not going to be good enough and changed. Wow. And so the idea of the podcast is like, I know COVID is happening, but if you look through history, there have been really intense things that have happened. So there's financial crisis, there's 9-11, there's .com, and these really intense things. And so it's normal to have some shock, but after a while, this is the normal. And for me personally, I have let go of the hope of any type of cure anytime soon or any type of vaccine. I've just chosen to think that this is the normal. So what am I going to do? How am I going to serve my customers? How am I going to take care of my own life? It's so interesting and you have this attitude, Savia, because I think um, the, the, temp, the term the new normal is so misleading because people assume that you're going back to something and that it's just going to be a reset into like something that is normal. It's just slightly different. But I think you are probably, well, whether you are right or not, the right attitude is yours, which mm -hmm. is this is most likely going to last in some fashion. You know, mm -hmm. history doesn't revert. You know, there is no magic cure in the sense that everything is going to go back to something like it was before. Mm -hmm. So I, I, it's interesting how your life has prepared you for for this, how does that affect the work you do with these nurses? What, what, what kinds of work have you been able to do with them or what, what kind of, how was that project? Um, so the truth is that it hasn't affected me at all because, and, and the truth be told, I think a lot of people wanted to give up that were involved in the project, you know, a month, a month into COVID, they're like, oh my God, how do we do, how do we have a national level pilot <laughs> yeah, sure. around, around hospitals and nurses? when we can't access them because hospitals are trying to take care of their nurses and, you know, figuring out what's going on with them, not only as a health, uh, as a, as a sector, but also as a business, right? Hospitals are closing left, right, and center. They're furloughing people like they're in their, they're in a tornado, right? And yeah. nurses are putting themselves on the line every day to take care of people. So I just simply, thought about the problem and pivoted. And really, I mean, I'm happy to share what I did. So 
you know, initially it was like, how do we talk to hospitals about nurses? And the more I thought about it, I was like, well, I don't need to talk to hospitals. I just need to talk to nurses. And so that's what I did. I just found nurses. I literally cold called, cold emailed, created my own game of telephone, phone a friend, refer to friends. You know, I would get in touch with a nurse and say, hey, who are your three to five friends that would be willing to spend time with me um, to talk about this? And so it's amazing that this was something that became very apparent to me. It's like in a crisis, yeah, people don't want to hear from corporations. They want to hear about initiatives, right? It's preservation of self. But yep. when your friends call you, you'll take the time. Sure. So that's how I was able to, to progress. So it's not what we imagined, but it is still like pushing through. Um, wow. So, so you're actually so, now, you're doing a combination of your podcast and, and basically your own, your own company. You're kind of consulting for, for various figures on, on this interaction of big application of, of basically tech and uh, social impact and women's empowerment. Yeah, yeah. So a little bit about the women's empowerment and this kind of, you know, kind of wraps up the story that I was trying to um, finish up a little bit earlier, which was with COVID, what I've also realized is that when I take a look at my life and I think about where I started literally with nothing, I was in a place like I had to, I had 20 bucks and I'm like, I need gas and I'm hungry. How am I going to do this? And this is a big life decision as a teenager, right? But I had to go through that. And then today to talking to you and running this national level pilot and even graduating from Sloan, if anybody ever told me that I would ever be doing these things today, I would just like actually bet against myself because it was just so insane what I had to come through. And so what I've decided to do is I've decided to pivot the company and focus on my mission, which is in my heart, which is to empower 1 million women to level up in their lives and their careers. And how I plan to do that is with COVID, I've had the time to literally analyze my life, think about the things in very specific details of how I went from where I was to you know, when I got how I got my first job with like no education, and then how I use that as a jumping off mark to go work for really big banks, even in New York City without any education. And then when I got my first role as director and leading a global team and working and traveling globally, and then becoming a VP, and then now this, there are very specific actions that I took, and women tend not to take them. So for me, it's about teaching them how to be a badass in their career. And actually, the, the delta or the, the difference between where you want to go and where you are is really taking an honest account of where you are today, where you want to go, and then understanding what you have to do and one foot in front of the other until you get there and doing things even when you're totally afraid. So, wow. And you yeah. think that the, those skills are accessible to, to a lot of people? It's not, there's not something very special about you that was able to do that because I mean, honestly, not everyone, you know, does what you do. So there, there must be a little bit of magic in the stamina of your personality that made you do this or, or, or would you disagree with me? You, you think these 1 million people, you're literally going to take a million people and help, help them level up or, or are you looking for those million women who have it in them? I mean, in other words, you know, how difficult versus easy is it to level up in the way that you're talking about. So I'll, I'll draw a comparison to to a 
an Olympic athlete or, 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 you know, a Tour de France uh, winner. So I, I, I am neither. <laughs> In fact, I don't even like to work out. I have to force myself to do five minute hit exercises. But I love you saying that. Not a lot of people are willing to admit this. You know, we live in this culture where everyone's supposed to love working out. I freaking hate it. I am the laziest person on the face of the earth. Maybe that's why I've been able to do what I'm doing because I'm like, okay, what's the fastest, sharpest, you know, straight line to get there? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Good point. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. But I think what I'm trying to say is like the people that I'm looking for are self-selective people. And what do I mean by that? So it takes a extreme amount of external Uh, pressure and internal pressure, right? To live the life that you live. And when the pressure inside of you becomes so much greater than what is outside, that becomes your propulsion. That propels you forward. So if you do not have this internal pressure, like if you are in your career and you have been passed over for the 10th or 15th time on that special project or a promotion or getting to hang, you know, get to know executives, then you're going to stay there. But if you're to the point where you're sick and tired of it and you're like, no, I want to run these huge projects. I want to have a mentor. That's, you know, a top exec at a firm. I want to do all of these things then these are the kinds of women that I am looking for because it's really about doing what it takes to get to the next level and circling back to the Olympic athlete analogy. It's those people. Yes, there is definitely an ounce of magic to it, but it is 98% consistency and doing it even when it sucks. So in my bio, I write about, you know how I basically feel like I've just been stumbling forward in life. Yeah. That that's literally it. I have not had like zero clue how to do I like I've just known that I can do things, but not really known how. And I just operate under that belief that I am going to destroy any goal that is put in front of me. I, I go with like complete domination mentality. Um, and then I let the rest of it work it out. But I am just incredibly persistent, probably one of the most persistent people on the planet. I am allergic to the word no, like severely. Um, and I don't understand the concept of not possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that is probably dri- you know, the driving force I've had in me from I was a, a really young girl. So this is fascinating. I'm curious, though, about the relationship between the tech part, which for you, I guess, has been very important, mm-hmm. and, and this progress that you are trying to give as an opportunity or share with, with this one million women project leveling up is technology part of this or is that just part of your journey and then for other people leveling up can mean many different things or is there something about women's empowerment these days that actually have to do with making creative use of of technology which you obviously have done in the sense that you have uh well at mit i think you made the smart choice you know sitting at the business school uh isn't really 
that's not really where things are happening at MIT. Uh, I've discovered the same thing. I, I was far more interested, you know, it's a great business school, but I was far more interested as you were when I got to really work. And I, you know, and I w- worked across campus for several years with entrepreneurs, and both professors and students and, and even alums, but, you know, cross campus, engineers, every flavor and variety. That is what fascinated me. I was just kind of curious, are, what, what kind of role does technology have for women's empowerment generally? Uh, that's, I mean, I know that's a broad question. I think for me and the work that I want to do, um, what I will say is that what I deduced from learning about AI and blockchain, that there's a certain sector or segment of the world, and you and I belong to it, right? Where they're like, oh, this is like the most amazing thing and it's going to change lives. And the truth is that, no, like when you get outside of that bubble, really a lot of things come down to like socio-technology problems. So it's always like a human problem first. And then the technology's beauty and magic and power is really becoming the engine on making that real. So for me and what I'll be teaching women starting the end of September is how to conquer that human problem. The technology piece for me will be, well, how do I disseminate so that I can help 1 million women? I don't have the answer to that yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But as usual, I never actually know how it's going to (laughs) work. Wow. So what are you starting in September? What exactly is this? Yeah. So um, I'm calling it a mastermind. I'm calling it a workshop. I'm not quite sure what exactly I will call it. But it will start out as, um, you know, groups of 20 women at a time that I will basically be spending a really intense day with going through my five pillars of my life that have allowed me to, you know, again, go from 15-year-old girl to having my, my work, you know, featured at the White House, uh, growing my income by over 500%, you know, going to Sloan, really spending a day with them. and teaching them how I thought about these things and really laying out the specific steps that I took in order to get promoted and get and to work on these projects and basically to become recognized. Like this particular project that I'm working on, I was approached by someone to run it. This is the point you want to get to in your life. You want to become a ninja so that you are like, that's the woman. We need to call her. Right. So, so is this a social impact uh, project? Because I could just imagine that the people that are in the market for such a thing, they're not exactly the biggest payers of, of uh, course, courses either, right? Because there's a reason why they, they want to level up. Or, or are you targeting more women who, you know, you, you know they're comfortable and they can pay for, for, for a day's worth of a workshop, but they're just interested in leveling up. So what, I'm just kind of curious about your target market. Yeah. So it's women who, um, so, I mean, I, the, the way it's going to break down, it's like, I'll also offer payment plans. So it's more manageable, but it's not going to be, I mean, I do have plans to make things like incredibly high end as we start to build out the program. So I'm actually talking about some collaborations right now with some other folks who are pretty well-known figures in the business community but that's also for someone who's at a different level in their career, right? Right, like, right. So I, you're maybe, yeah, maybe thinking different tiers and and stuff for for right. the it's program. different 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 needs for different people. Sure. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm just curious. I mean, this is, uh, you have a fascinating story, obviously. I'm just curious about this podcast. So I have experienced... Thinking about the pandemic? Buy the book. Pandemic Aftermath, How Coronavirus Changes Global Society by Trond Unheim was published by Atmosphere Press in 2020, putting the pandemic into the context of the two historical precedents, the Black Death and the influenza of 2018. Five scenarios are considered to be relevant for our understanding of the next decade. The five scenarios are borderless world, nation state renewal, two worlds apart, Habitian chaos and status quo. The first portion of the book is non-fiction. The second portion of the book is fiction. If you are at all curious, you can get this book everywhere books are sold and can learn more at pandemic-aftermath.com. two months that I've run my podcast that some of the things that I always knew that I liked doing, getting to know people and and diving kind of deep into their experience. It's been super interesting and I've learned an enormous amount. What are some of the things that you personally have taken away from the stories of the people that you have been able to dig up and feature on the, on the show? Have you, you know, are there some nuggets there that, that you're bringing into, to kind of the, your outlook on, you know, on the next few years? Yeah. So I will say the the one thing, the one thing, well, there's more than that. Maybe I'll think of three things, but I'll say the first thing that I've realized is that, so as someone who's really had this kind of journey herself, but never really recognized it as a journey, more of like, this is life and it's like blinders on and then blinders off. You look at it, it's a journey. Listening to the stories of all of these incredible people that have achieved things in their life made me feel that I was not alone. Sure. Because I had felt very alone for a really long time. I've even told, uh, there's one story I tell on my podcast, I, I can't remember which episode it was, but the lady and I were talking about something. And I shared that when I was a teenager, because I never had a typical teenage exam, uh, teenage life. Like I was always like working irresponsible for myself. A lot of kids, they go to camp and they have like, I don't know, they have all these cool things I have no clue about. And I was dating someone at the time and went to his, um, you know, parents summer home in the beaches of, of New York city. And his mom asked me, um, you know, where do you spend your summers? What's your favorite camp? And I literally like, I broke up with him the next day and I just ran. I was like, I, these people are never going to accept me. So I carried a lot of that for a really long time and never yeah. really realized it. So it was just kind of like, it felt kind of awesome just knowing that super successful people have also gone what I've gone through. And so yeah. that it was also kind of a relief for me. The second thing is what I really like is that there is no right path, right? So for example, there is a woman who was the head of UX and um, UX and uh, UX design and research for Toast, Susan Rice, who I admire so much, $5 billion company, you know, Toast, right? She like, she didn't go to college until like, I don't know, later in life, like her, you know, she started her career out as a waitress. 
and loved waitressing. And then she became, you know, the, the head of UX design and research for Toast. I mean, how crazy is that? That's like not the profile that you would think of someone yeah. who would be in that role. I, I mean, certainly not for me, right? Because when we think of tech firms, we think of, you know, a certain persona. What does the person look like on paper? We think of all these things. We don't, we don't think of Susan, but she's like incredible and amazing. And the fact that she was a waitress, she connected with their customers so well because she had actually done the job. How cool is that? Hmm. Um, and the third thing is that it's a lot of people have used these circumstances that are like COVID, there's nothing equivalent to COVID. I don't know how often you go through a pandemic in your life, but these really intense jolting experiences, these, this is actually the magic in your life. This is the magical moment. It is not the terrible moment. It is not the painful moment. It is the magic. It is the fork in your road to make a different choice about who you want to be. And it's much less about what title you want to have. Like with what I'm doing, I I don't care about titles, right? I care about now I'm focused on who is Tron going to say Savvy was for the rest of this portion of her life. When you think of me, I don't want you to think of VP of whatever, whatever. I'm not saying that's bad. But what I'm saying is focus on who you want to be in the world Unless sure. about the title on your, you know, email footer because we don't have business cards anymore. <laughs> Fascinating stuff, Savi. I it's such an interesting journey. I I think uh, you're you're onto something really important. I, congratulations on making so much progress in your own life. But it's just great to see that you have pivoted. I would say relatively quickly. It's just sometimes I think it's sad to see sad. It's not sad. It's, it's always good. But people who you know, need to turn 50 or 60 before they realize this idea of giving back. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's sort of like, there's almost like two kinds of people. There's the people that always sort of felt like they were giving back and they do sometimes become the nurses, right? They, from a very early age, they just pick a profession where it really is more about giving back because you can't really say that being a nurse is you know, is like a career choice to, you know, to become famous. Like that's, there are famous nurses, but it's not, at least not the straightest path to becoming famous. But then there are other people who sort of like, they have to get it out of their system. They have to go to Wall Street, but they have to do whatever it is they have to do. And then at some point it hits them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fine. It's not like I pity that perspective. And, and the world needs, obviously, the financial resources some of these people have. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of interesting that it takes some people 10 years to realize you know, why they're put on this planet. And it takes other people 60 and 70 years. Mm-hmm. I, I just, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I, also, I mean, I did the same thing. So back when I, back when makes me sound like I'm 100, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't seem like you are. <laughs> but, right. Um, it was some time ago, but that's. I think that's a good place to start. And uh, this is also something I talk about in my mastermind or workshop: is that if you are unsure of where you want to be, like today, I can very comfortably say all the things that I'm saying to you. But yeah. the reason is because back then. I had no idea who I wanted to be. I was also married and divorced before I was 30. And when I left that relationship, I was so broken. I was like, oh God, which way is up? And so for me to find that way, it was actually to identify a persona, to identify someone who I could use as my North Star and be like, oh, 
this person has a great life to make great money to work for a good company. They have a nice place. And then that was like what I would aim for because I had nothing else to aim for. So I think it's okay for people to go say, Hey, I want to work on wall street or I want to do tech or whatever it is you want to do. And some people love it stay forever, but someone, a lot of people, a lot of people, they think that that's what life is about. And then you get there and you start to look around and you're like, what? Wait, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna, uh, th- there are probably people for whom Wall Street, you know, it's, and it's kind of a favorite thing to like criticize. I mean, there, there are fantastic people working oh, there and who love working there and who do great work there. Yeah. And you could pick any, any profession where you can excel and either earn a lot of money or be famous. There's nothing absolutely wrong with that. The interesting thing is just, the number of people, and and you know, I, I've met them at all walks of life. In a kind of previous incarnation, I was spending some time as a wine writer, and the first thing you discover about people who are in the wine business, mm-hmm. they either obviously have been in it because their family has, uh, you know, have, have you know, they already had a vineyard or something, mm-hmm. so they're just taking it over, and that's an interesting. I was always interested in the stories of these these uh, winemakers, but the other big cohort of of people who run vineyards, they used to be on Wall Street, they used to yep. be a doctor, they used to be something. And then they had this pivotal moment where they said, I really just don't like what I'm doing. Yeah. And I kind of like being outside. I like enjoying life. And and then someone just put this wine interest in, you know, in their on their lap and, and then they threw away everything and obviously invested every, you know, every dollar they had because, you know, it's an expensive thing to do. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I lived in um I lived in Napa for for a few months um and I can confirm that that is true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why why I brought up wine, but it's just it, it's another thing where you kind of I, I guess the meaning of life, right? It's it's that question people ask themselves, and you know you either turn kind of slightly hedonistic, I guess, and and do kind of what you really think uh, you know you would want to do, uh, but then. Some of these people are, are really, you know, you're really great. Or, or you turn to things like you're doing into social impact work. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if you ask my friends 10 years ago, yeah, it is 10 years ago that I left the banking industry. That's crazy. That's crazy to even think about. Um, if I would ever work in social impact, they would have never, it would have been like, you know, no way. No way. Yeah. You're going to stay. You're going to work for a bank forever. Like this is you. Um, and I wasn't, I was never planning to do this kind of work, but, um, it's just, it, it really feels good to me. Um, and I'm very excited to, to do it. I am curious in my podcast about the future. So, so here's my question. Mm -hmm. Looking at the next decade in the, in the field that you have now chosen to, to spend a lot of time on. So, you know, women's empowerment, let's just take that for, for, for a second. Mm-hmm. Looking at the next decade, what are the things that are going to impact women's empowerment? And, and how do you see this developing? We have talked a little bit about COVID. We have talked about your initiative. But then generally, wh- where is women's empowerment going right now? What are the forces impacting its kind of evolution? You know, one of the things we talk a lot about here on, on my podcast is, you know, technology obviously influences a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Political and regulatory changes can, can do positive impact, but they also could, you know, obviously limit, you know, in this case, lim- limit women's uh, assent. There's a lot going on in the policy domain, as you, as you know, it's presidential season and everything. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are also clever kind of business models and, and sort of breakout concepts that have come up. Uh, and then lastly, kind of the factor of sort of social dynamics there, there are a lot of things happening in society, whether it's cultural factors or, or other things that could impact this issue. Which things are you most actively kind of working on? Which approaches do you think are going to make the biggest difference? And what do you really see happening in the next decade when it comes to uh, women's empowerment a little bit more generally than we've talked about before? Yeah. um, I really like this question. So I feel that we are at a time in life and a time in history where this undercurrent of things, whether it is, um, you know, racism or women being treated like a second class citizen at work or even, you know, their roles in the home, they're changing. They're changing simply because people have a desire for something more. And I think the reason why this desire has become so strong, you can feel it. You can feel the energy. I mean, at the end of the day, we're still animals. So you can feel the change that's happening in society. And I think what is really driving that is technology, right? So because you have the Instagrams and all these other social platforms and other women can see other women who are doing well in business and and doing they're doing things that they desire to do, so they are seeking it. They have other like North Stars, if you would. But I also think that as a result of that, self-education is going to be number one in the next 10 years. So I see the current educational system getting really disrupted beyond COVID. Um, because when you think about it, and this is also some of the things that I'm thinking about in my, in my current work, is you can go to an institution, but when you've left the institution, what exactly did you get besides the piece of paper? Meaning if I'm a business owner, right? And certainly if you're hiring someone from a business school like Sloan, you have to, there's a price tag associated with it. But yeah. What can you actually do for me? This is how I think today. This is how I positioned myself when I was in school. So uh, when I was at Sloan, because I knew the minute I came out the gate, when someone asked me that question, I'm like, here are the three things or five things that I did there showing you that I know how to do this. So people are looking for how is the thing that you're teaching me going to get me the result that I want? People aren't really interested in reading books, like because of YouTube and all of these other things. Now you're making me really sad. I've spent the last (laughs) last year writing three books. (laughs) Oh, go ahead. It was a joke. I I do understand that people don't read books. It took me a while though to realize that people don't read books because all I do is read books. But yes, it's true. true. Yeah. That being said, I actually have read several hundred books. Um, and I have uh, a 20 sitting there. Uh, that Which I, really I can't see because you have a virtual background. I was yes. actually trying to figure out if it was a virtual background. It looks very uh, <laughs> like it could be your, your, your kitchen Thank living you. room. Thank yeah. you. I think this is what I want my next place to look like. Um, I, I'm not sure I'll be sticking around DC. It's not close to the water and I miss it. Um, no, but... So back to the book thing. I mean, people are looking for speed, right? So you know, maybe you do an audiobook because someone listens to it instead of having to physically hold the book. They can multitask. So anything that's going to get someone from point A to point B faster with results, proven results, 
is what people are seeking. Um, and also, I think in terms of workforce, what I would like to see is a lot more transparency in the hiring process and also specifics around how people can particularly fit in for a job. So um, I think the one of the beautiful things about technology is that it, it can be our great equalizer in the sense of you can use technology um, I know companies doing this right now where you can ingest information on high school students, adults, whatever, strip out their name, strip out their address, strip out the school they went to, and simply look at their accomplishments and how they stack up for a job. Yeah. And to me, that is incredible. I want to see, I, I completely see um, a lot more transparency and a lot more leveling the playing field of applying for jobs. Um, and I guess the, the final thing for, for women's empowerment is just, um, you know, more, more niches of very specific groups of women of what they're looking for. Because it's just, you know, not, it's like cars, right? There are many types of cars and each one has its own kind of club. I think you're going to find more specialization. And this can happen across many industries, but more about, um, so for example, I'm teaching women how to you know, level up in their careers but someone may want to do something else with a particular, with their particular area of work if they don't work in the corporate sector. So it's going to be less about a one size fits all and more about how are you catering to a specific audience? But I think this is happening already. I mean, self-education for sure. I think it's really powerful. It's really scary though, if you are an institution that have been providing higher education to right now, right? Not So there's COVID and then there's kind of the general trend of, of like you said, of self-education and, and of technology enabling uh, a lot more content being produced in that regard. And and uh, the proliferation, really, of online courses. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's interesting. Do you think that business school that you went to in its current form, how long do you think that will survive until it drastically has to change? Because if you think about it, the, if you look at the history of the MBA education, it's not very long. In, in the history of human educational mm -hmm. institutions, you know, this, this thing really took off after the Second World War. It's not been around very long. Mm -hmm. And there are some people saying, you know, maybe it won't be along, uh, you know, around for, for much more. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there really, does it really make sense to go two years, you know, in a fairly theoretical strand where you basically have to give up whatever you were doing? And then is that worth it versus what you could learn on the job, but taking like you said, you know, portions and, and taking courses on the side and doing this self-education journey? Or do you think it's just going to be both? Um, so I think am I you know am I, I can I so here are my thoughts on schools like Sloan. Now in the education space there are there's a gradient of brands, sure. right? Just like in clothing, there's a gradient of clothing. You have high end and you have things that are not so high end, and each segment, depending on where you belong to, gives you different benefits. Sure. So if you think about schools like Sloan, it's really, and again, this is from my perspective, I'm certainly not speaking on behalf of the school or whatever, but it is about the community that that school builds. It is less about the stuff. I mean, they put all of their stuff except for certain specialized courses 
they give it away for free. It's not about the education, right? right? It's really about the network. So as long as the network continues to be strong and delivers and supports each other, I think that these kind of schools will go on. In terms of how they teach, quite frankly, I think the power is in the community and the way the members of the community teach each other. Um, I personally, if someone said to me that, hey, I could um, you know, just get the same experience in the classes online, but I could spend my time like networking or going to those special events, that's worth it to me. Like to me, the classes are commodities. It's like going to the grocery store. Again, except for the specialized classes, right? Because there are some special classes there that I want to be there in person. Yeah. But for me, and no disrespect to the accountants, like put that in an e-course, give me the modules and let me just do it and let me get it over with and let me finish it. I don't need to go sit in a classroom. When was the last time accounting rules changed for business school students, right? I'm not an accountant. When was the last time that changed? Like, I don't know, never. <laughs> I mean, it's the same, you know, balance sheet, make it equal. And, and, you know, this is how you treat the things. Like, I think it will need to become more of a hybrid because to me, this world is now more about time maximization than anything else. Um, and I do think it's worth it. I think it's worth it because your life is so drastically changed by the community that surrounds the school. Your life is not necessarily drastically changed by the classes. Hmm. For example, like with my own experience, for me, it was being in the community at MIT and going to those classes at, you know, the computer science and AI lab and going to sit in. It was being in such an open environment where someone like me who literally had, you know, a zero knowledge about any of this stuff was welcomed and could go explore. That is the value of that institution. In that, in that case, the classes were valuable, but those things are not commodities, right? They're very specialized. You I agree, I agree. You get that anywhere. You know, the top, some of the top roboticists in the world are sitting in that lab and I can go have a meeting with them if, if they feel like taking a meeting with me <laughs> or I can certainly drop into their class. Like that is not a commodity. So this brings me to uh, an, another fascination that I have, and I always ask my guests, and it's actually part of a, a very long-term kind of research project that I'm working on in terms of how you grow. I think we share this uh, this interest. How do you track your field? So let's say now you're, you're going into this field of women's empowerment and you are going to teach women to uh, be empowered. Mm -hmm. So if you take that as a field, how do you track that field and the evolution. And, you know, we just talked about MIT and how that, uh, you know, there's part of that that's a commodity. So some, some classes are, are just stuff you kind of have to know. Other things are very, very unique about that institution. Now you're outside of that institution. You're in your own world moving about. How do you stay up to date on the things that you personally need to know to be at the top of your game for the stuff that you now want to do in the next few years? Mm -hmm. How yeah. do you do that? How do you make those choices about where you need to be, who you need to talk to, and what you need to learn? Yeah, so I, I'll borrow something from, from, from someone that I'm about to interview on my podcast who is 
at the top of his game in software development, award-winning yep. firm. And he said something that was really interesting, which is how I feel, but he explained it so beautifully. So his company is incredible. He owns it outright. There are no investors. He's beholden to no one. And it does a lot of revenue. That's a very unique place to be in. And I said, well, how, you know, how do you run your business? He's like, I'm not in business. What is this person talking about? <laughs> right. He's like, my business is an art medium where I get to express myself. Hmm. And this is how I view my business. So I will use that and say the way that I view the work that I am doing is really up to my own standards and how I'm measuring what I'm doing. So for me, how, when I feel what I believe is a result of someone benefiting from a mastermind or a workshop they'll take from me is that they can clearly come back and say to me, Hey, I took your tips. I implemented it. And now I am working on this top project. And now I got this promotion and now I made this much more money. And so to me, progress is actionable results, meaning that they moved in a positive direction from where they started to where they are today. I don't care if someone says to me, I took your class and I had the courage to ask for a raise and I made an extra $1,000 or $2,000. Like that's a win because she would have not had that $2,000 had she not um, gotten the courage or the process to go do that. So to me, that is, that is the, the, the forward movement that I'm looking for. And that's really the only progress that I need. There are certainly other people out there who do versions of what I do. No one can ever do exactly what I do because how I did it is just different, right? No, no, I, I understand that. But I was more, I guess, another way to ask it is, you know, how, how do you get inspired? Because we all need yeah. to get inspired. And I guess your, your, your part of your answer must be you seek these people out and you interview them on your podcast. That's kind of your method right yeah. now, the, your main method. Mm-hmm. And now, maybe the question really more is, how do you select those people? Because, you know, that's a very clear strategy you have. It's not dissimilar from what I have just recently chosen to do. I do many different things to try to mm-hmm. stay up to date on the things that I consider important, you know, in, to, to, to the future, which is mm-hmm. what, what I've kind of desi- uh, decided is kind of my quest right now and extreme performance. But, but I was just curious, wh- who, do you ta- who do you take inspiration from more generally? Who do you find uh, are doing good things in, in this world right now? Oh my goodness. That's, that's such a, (laughs) I don't really have, so this is probably not the answer you're looking for, but I think that because I never grew up with a person as a North star, I don't look to anyone and say that this one person inspires me. I mean, I look across industries and I like to see what different people are doing, but no one I, there's like no one person, but I, I can answer your your podcast question. So my podcast is very much like how you and I are talking right now, right? From this conversation, it seems like we've known each other for 20 years, right? Right. In Zoom land, technically we have, right? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. But the conversations are like this. And so it's really about people who are at a point where they're okay sharing with what they've gone through, whatever whatever challenges they've faced and how they actually over overcome it. And what's done and what makes it easier, I think, for people to go on the podcast and share some very deep things. You know, like I had a woman who's like 80% deaf. 
but she's like at the highest level at an educational institution. She's learned how to cope throughout her life. It's really just, I don't know. It's, it's a connection that I'm somehow able to, to make. And a lot of these people, some of them I know from my works and some of them I have no, I've never met them before. It's just a, simply a connection. And I think it's the way that I approach them. And I just make it very much about the work that I'm trying to do, which is to inspire people to take action and change their lives and put themselves in a better place. Savia, I like your answer because it's very different from what I get from most people. I think most people take my question and they turn it into an essay question in an SAT test, in an, you know, like an achievement test, and they, they want to kind of ace the test. Yeah. But also, I think a lot of people are looking for North Stars and they do actually have these uh, places, you know, because clearly, you know, at an instrumental level, I'm looking for tips in a specific field to say, hey, oh, there's really this influencer and they have this newsletter and it's fantastic. You want to stay up to date on blockchain, you know, you or crypto, you should, you know, read Ryan Selkis's blog and, you know, I, I'm going to have Ryan on the show later, right? So that's a, just an example. But I think what you said is is quite interesting because there's really no answer and like there there really aren't two people that could give you all the answers in life and I think you know your entire approach has been the opposite it's been you have experienced in your life it seems if I paraphrase you have experienced a uh, lack of mentors certainly early on so even when you then have mentors such as at MIT and other places you don't cling to them the way some people would would perhaps have and, and sort of say, now I've found my North Star, you choose to say, I'm on my own. I'm going to take whatever I take from whatever I can find, more like scavenging you know, around, but I'm not going to sit there and obsess about this one person who I think has the meaning of life because it doesn't reflect your experience. And I think that's fair. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and in a weird way, I actually think that my purpose in this world is actually to become somebody else's North Star. Well, right? see, that's what I was going to challenge you on that because there's <laughs> there's something quite interesting there. Where, yeah, and I, there's no incongruence there. I find that fine. That's that's great, I, and I think that's that seems to be the path you're on. It's not a path I would have chosen because I'll tell you that I do I do really wish that I had my parents. Um, you know, my father died from suicide when I was 18. My mom, I do not speak to. But even before that, in those formative years, I really did not have anybody to rely on. And for years, I, it really was so upsetting and I carried it. But what I've realized is that the person, especially in my podcast, that I am speaking to is the younger version of me because I know that there are so many of them out there. I don't think I, I don't know how many people have experienced all the tragedies that I have, but I think that I've covered enough ground. I was going to say, I hope not everybody. <laughs> I hope not all my listeners feel like a, a sort of a sense that this is like, oh yeah, that, that yeah, that's my life. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So this is what I I've. I think that I am here for this is my this is how I want to give back to the world is just to let people to to let people know that hey all of this stuff is actually pretty normal people go out of their way to hide it and it's when you hide it it kind of festers and it becomes worse but if you address it you take care of it you let it heal you move on from it there's actually a lot of really powerful stuff like serious power that you can draw from it. And this is, this is also the gift that I want to give to people in the podcast and also the women that I'm going to teach. Wow. 
Interesting stuff. Thank you so much for sharing this. And and like you said, it m- may seem like we have known each other for for longer. The fact that you just sh- shared this with me and we have never met, I I think that is uh, a testament to how far you have come in reflecting around what what motivates you and what you want to share with others. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Savi. I think I'll I'll stop there on my end. I know it's uh, coming up on the hour. Yeah. This is probably as far as we we get today. You know, if you're interested, you have just listened to episode 33 of the Futurized podcast with host Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was one woman's empowerment quest to help one million. Our guest was Savi Barrows, host of the Dream Big and Live Free podcast. In this conversation, which I initially had planned as a prep call, we instead dove straight in. We talked about Savi's path to empowerment, her quest to empower one million women, her project on the future of work for American nurses, which brought her to the White House, what she took away from her MBA at MIT Sloan, the meaning of life, whether we need a North Star, and how to turn adversity into personal and professional growth. In doing so, we also talk about what the next decade will bring for women's empowerment. My takeaway is that even if your life is defined by abrupt shock, such as suicide in the family before you turn 19, domestic abuse, a divorce before you are 30, and starting out without formal education, you can still prevail. Not only that, you can experience outsized success, and even better, you can inspire others to make changes to transform their lives. What a powerful message to young women and to all of us. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurized.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.